We're continuing this week in our study concerning the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. And in that study, we're, we're setting that uh, up against our life and our Christian experience. What, what does the law have to, to say to us? Uh, we talked about the new covenant. Uh, we talked about the law and justification in Galatians chapter 2. Now the law and sanctification, Romans chapter 6, beginning in 15. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from of the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and thank the Lord and ask for his help. Father, thank you for this, your word. It is light and life and good news and hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of death, in the midst of a hopeless time and a hopeless people, your word speaks. It speaks great truths. Would your spirit help us? Would you be our teacher, our God today? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's a bit jarring to find ourselves in the middle of Romans, and, and I, I get that. It, it was a bit jarring for me. It's a bit jarring to, uh, to look through these texts, uh, considering what they have to say to us about the law. But I'm going to jar you a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is continuing his famous Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, he's laying out life in the kingdom, both in principle and practice. And in one section, he takes up the issue of money as a driving force in life. I'm especially interested in the way he concludes. He says this in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The point I find fascinating here is that Jesus assumes that for those who follow him, we'll be living our lives in service to him. Devoted to him. He says you can't serve two masters. Here's the basic point. Jesus is saying you can't have it both ways. You can't serve two masters. In Romans 6, Paul is responding to an objection that the abundance of God's grace laid out for us in that book encourages sin. And we dealt with this a little bit last week in Galatians 2. There Paul says he he so identifies with Christ that he's been crucified with Christ. And he no longer lives. Christ lives in him. And the life that he lives now, going forward, he lives in light of that gospel. Here Paul is bringing up that objection again. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Christ has done a great work to set us free. The love of God is astounding. That God, the creator of the universe, would send his only son to live for us, to die in our place. It pleased the Lord to lay him to grief on our behalf to redeem us out of sin, to to give us life again, to roll back the curse and all its effects. And so the question comes, well, then sin really doesn't matter. The way we live our lives from then on out, it, it doesn't matter. He's countering that objection. And his argument in 1 through 14 is, is this, You're free. You're free. You're free from the law. You're free from sin and its consequences. You're free. But then he he nuances, and that's why I pick up in the middle of the chapter, because he's going to nuance and he's going to put that freedom on a tightrope and say it's not the way you want to define freedom. True Christian freedom is not being absolutely free to do whatever we want to do. That's not true Christian freedom. In fact, he's going to make a very similar point to that that Jesus makes in Matthew 6, and that is you can't serve two masters. Child of God, you can't serve two masters. 15 through 23, he sets these things right beside one another, the way of life and the way of death. Paul points us from freedom to slavery. Slavery, that's the term used in this section several times. We can't serve two masters. Here's how we'll approach this text. First, we'll we'll just kind of walk through it and, and find our way. Then we'll look at slavery to sin and its fruit. Then we'll look at slavery to God and and its fruit. 
First, it's definitely worth looking at this a bit more closely. Paul, again, opens with this rhetorical question. Look at it. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? This general, again, question that he's throwing out there. We're under grace, right? We can do what we want. In other words, it's absurd to think that our union with Christ, our justification by grace alone, has any bearing on our life. That's the question that he's asking. He's going to answer Christ's victory over sin and death should never be turned into an excuse for sinning. In verse 16, he he sets up this illustration. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Here's the main point, right up front. We're all slaves. We're all slaves. That means not one of us in this room is not falling under this in some way. His point is, Christian freedom doesn't mean that you do whatever you want. You're you're all still under something. You're under a master. You're a servant of something. That's 16 and 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. Paul views Christians as once being under sin, under the law. We've talked a lot about this. The law out here, the Ten Commandments in our Exodus study, the Ten Commandments existing outside of us. The perfect moral law of God hanging over our heads saying you're condemned. None of you can stand before it. I fall short. I cannot keep that standard that's up here. It's above me. It's too high. I can't do it. He thanks God that you who were once under sin, under the law, are now under Christ in union again with Him and have become obedient from the heart. So you were obeying the law in your attempts to obey the law. You were getting death. And now you're obedient from the heart to the standard or form of teaching to which you've been committed. Here Paul deals with types of people. Early in Romans, the type presented is one in bondage. All human beings are imaged as slaves in bondage. We're born into that slavery. We're born into sin. We're born into death. There's a change in Romans. Those who were once enslaved to sin and death are now obedient from the heart to a new standard of teaching. The standard of teaching that had been passed down to them. This is the apostolic teaching. It's this. Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. 
The apostolic teaching says this, not not only has the very Son of God come, He's lived in your place. He was the only righteous one. He was the only one that could stand up to this external standard, perfect in every possible way. And you've embraced that teaching. And that perfect Son of God has died for you. He's taken your place. And He has conquered death and resurrection. And you have now accepted that teaching. You're no longer slaves under the law to sin. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the, that's the teaching that these people had received. Have we received that teaching? Justified. Declared righteous in the courts of God. No longer a slave to sin and unrighteousness. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. In keeping with this metaphor, Paul argues that everyone, again, is a slave, a servant of something, either of sin, which leads to death, or of righteousness, slaves to righteousness. Here's the point, the autonomy we want. The way that we want to define freedom, the way that we've wanted to define freedom since the garden doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We're not ever free moral agents able to do what we want, when we want. It's not the teaching of Christ. Paul is saying there's either either one of two types of people. Either you're a slave to sin and death or you're a slave to God and righteousness. Verse 18, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of righteousness. 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It says, I know we can't push this metaphor too far. We can't, we can't go too far. This is a, a way to understand how all this stuff works. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, so once this way of life had a trajectory for you. And now that trajectory has been changed in Christ to go a new way. 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The fruit of those things is death. Slavery to sin bears fruit. And a fruit of that slavery is this, shame. Shame and death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit that leads to sanctification and the end of sanctification, life. Life, for the wages of sin is death. It's kind of the capstone here of his argument. What you get from sin is death. What you earn is death. And the contrast to that, life is a free gift of God in Christ. Or looking at the way these two things 
break down just a bit more about slavery. It's estimated that in the population of Rome, the Roman Empire in the first century, about one-third of that populace was in slavery. One of the emperors had a bright idea to uh, clothe slaves in a certain way so that they would be easily identified as a class of people, and they quickly rolled that back. You know why? Because if slaves easily recognized the other, they would be a force to be reckoned with. There were so many of them. These people understood that life was lived in this way, masters and slaves. They understood that well. That we understand that. We don't necessarily live in that culture anymore, but he's arguing that we all give ourselves to obey something and someone. We all do that. Universal experience of slavery and servitude is this. Obedience. Obedience. Will you obey your master? And the answer for slaves is yes, you will. I love Shoney's. Did you ever eat at Shoney's? When I was a kid, my grandmother would take me. She lived in Kosciuszko, Mississippi. I would spend time with my grandmother, and we would drive down to Jackson to do some running around together. Uh, we would go to Shoney's, and I loved it. You know why I loved it? Because you could eat all the bacon you wanted. They had a breakfast bar, and it didn't matter what time of day it was. You could tell it was Shoney's. It's a distinctive building. They had these front glass. Uh, a lot of them had the front curved glass. You remember that? That came down to the wall. Am I the only one? A few, a few of you are nodding. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Come on. I'm not the only one that's ever eaten at Shoney's. It's fantastic. I don't know if they're still around. They had really good hot fudge cake. Uh, but I love going there with my grandmother to eat. So then in Leeds, Alabama, you can, you can go and check me on this. There's a, a restaurant there called Guadalajara. Guadalajara, affectionately known as Guad. Uh, and you can come and ask me. There are various other sundry names for Guadalajara. The interesting thing about it is, clearly, it was the Shoney's. It was a Shoney's, and like many Shoney's, no doubt, the ones that I grew up going to, they're not around anymore. The building is still there. The kitchen is still in operation. It's under utterly new ownership. Guadalajara, you can tell it was a Shoney's by some distinctive features in it and by people telling you a bit of the history of Leeds. Hey, we used to have Shoney's right there. The breakfast bar was good. Yep. But now they serve tacos and burritos, tamales, chips and salsa. The inside doesn't come with, uh, the food doesn't come with little flag uh, toothpicks, right? doesn't come with that. But there are flags everywhere in Guadalajara. It used to be kind of this monochromatic place with Shoney's, but now it's tons of colors, bright yellow and green, assault you as you walk into Guadalajara with the flags and the posters. 
They do not have all-you-can-eat bacon at Guadalajara. Why? There's a new owner. It's the same building. There's a new owner. And the new owner, Shoney's was gone. Hey, what happened, to, what happened to Shoney's? What happened to the cool sign? What happened to... No, that's gone. Under new ownership, this place has been totally renovated from the inside out. Same building, same structure, same parking lot, but everything is new. The kind of food they serve, the culture of the place, from the top down, it's utterly new. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying Christ does. So, so I hate to do this with the illustration, but in the illustration, the old way, that's the Shonies. The new way, that's the Guadalajara. Track with me. Slavery to sin and its fruit. Here we go. In 14 and 15, again, he's setting up two approaches to life under the law or under grace. He says, you, you might be tempted to argue that, that you're a slave or, or maybe that you and your kids aren't slaves or that your, your spouse maybe and your loved ones were not slaves. Paul is dropping the hammer and saying, but you are. Again, Jesus also applied this principle in John 8. There he says that anyone who abides in him abides in the truth and is set free. Then people respond saying, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone is caught in this trap. Everyone is a slave. You're slaves to the one that you obey, he says. The status as slaves to sin means that you're free in regard to righteousness. The standard over here, the moral law of God, doesn't mean anything to you. Either in the heart or as an external standing over you. You're free in regard to that. Because you're a slave to sin. The result of that life, its fruit brings shame and guilt. And the outcome of this slavery is death. This is the trajectory of one who is dying. Sin and shame and death. There's no such thing as just a a little bit of sin. Notice running all through Paul's statement here on sin are warnings that sin leads to death. What about this little thing that I'm flirting with? What about this little thing in my life that I like, I enjoy? I know it's across the line. I know the standard exists. I'm I'm a good guy. I go to church on Sunday morning. It's fine. Paul leaves no middle ground here. He leaves no wiggle room from this direct correlation between sin, shame, and death. That's where it goes. There's always an escalation to sin. It doesn't ever stay small. 
It always grows. A little leads to a little more that leads to a lot that leads to death. Maybe you're here and you never really thought about the trajectory of your life. You've always thought of yourself as autonomous. You've defined freedom as your autonomy. I can do what I want and it really doesn't matter. Or maybe worse, I can do what I want because I'm in Christ. You you fall exactly where, where Paul is talking. If that's your idea, that's exactly who he's talking to. I have Christ. I've been freed. I'm justified. And that's Shoney's. It's closing down. Its end is death. It will not remain. What's the fruit, he says? What's the fruit of of the life that you were leading outside of Christ? The, The things of which you are now ashamed. What is the trajectory of a life of sin? Where is that going? What is the fruit of it? He's inviting us to look into our lives and say, hey, what, what does this mean? What, what, is, what, is, what do my actions mean? What, what do my thoughts mean? Where are they going? He's inviting brutal self-examination. Paul said that those things lead to shame. Those things you used to revel in and call freedom, those things you're now ashamed of. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. It doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to contentment. It leads to shame and death. And this trajectory, again, there's no hope. What about slavery to God and and its fruit? So we have slavery to sin and its fruit leading to death. What about slavery to God? This This is Guadalajara. It's under new ownership. You, child of God, are under new ownership. Utterly renovated. Nothing like the old. Paul says we're all slaves to something, either to sin, which leads to death, or to righteousness, which leads to life. The status of this person goes from slavery to sin. Now we're free from sin and slaves to God. That's the status. Free from sin and its power and slaves to God. The result of this, as as opposed to to leading to shame, the fruit of this trajectory, slavery to God, is sanctification, a set-apart life. That's what sanctification is. Justification is this declared righteousness that we talked about last week before the law of God being declared righteous in Christ. Sanctification is that life lived, that life walked out in righteousness. The outcome of that life, slavery to sin, is death. And the outcome of the life in the gospel is eternal life. Eternal life. Notice the the detail here about those who are slaves of sin but are now under new management. They have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
since the fall, since Adam and Eve in the garden, man has believed that escaping God, getting away from him, is freedom. God is restrictive. I'll be truly free if I can do what I want. I'll be truly free if I just cross this line just a, just a little bit. That'll be satisfying to me. I'll be free. True freedom, however, isn't defined by us. It's not freedom from any kind of restraint whatsoever. In God's kingdom, freedom is service to him. True freedom is obedience to God. True freedom and the greatest life that we could live, the freest life, is obedience to God. Those transformed by the gospel are obedient from the heart. This is exactly what we talked about two weeks ago in the New Covenant. I'm going to place my law in your heart Instead of being a standard out here judging you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on the inside of you and lived outwardly. The questions, are we convicted over our sin? The expectation in here is that we're all sinners. This church is full of them. One right here. We're all sinners. Are we convicted? Is the Holy Spirit doing work in us? Do we desire to please God with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words? Are we quick to acknowledge when we're off, when we're wrong? Listen, last week we talked about this being huge in our culture, this this idea that we're justified by God through Christ. This is another part of our culture, that we're honest about sin. We don't hide from it. We don't run from it. We don't say, hey, sin is over there. It's those people. They're sinners, not me. That's not the truth. We're all sinners. Do we acknowledge that? Are we on this new path, slaves to righteousness, slaves to God? Let me just take your temperature. How often are you apologizing? How often do you say, I'm sorry? How often do you look at your brother, sister, spouse, family member and say, hey, I blew it? And here's another test of temperature. How often do you forgive? When someone says to you, hey, I blew it. I absolutely blew it. I sinned against you and here's what I did. Maybe they don't put it exactly like that, but we should be doing that. As those obedient to God, slaves of righteousness, how often do you receive the apology of other and and offer forgiveness, full, complete forgiveness? Have you been forgiven in Christ? Do you forgive others? Obedient from the heart doesn't mean we always get it right, but it does mean that it's our heart's desire. We're under new management. We were Shonies, and now we're Guadalajara. We're new. We don't serve the same things. There are some similarities. We keep on living life. 
And in this life, we wrestle through these things and we struggle with them. Paul is saying, which one are you going to obey? Sin, which leads to death, or righteousness, which leads to sanctification. Being transformed into a slave of God means commitment to a standard. Commitment to a standard. The word standard here refers to a specific pattern of apostolic teaching. One uh, commentator says this, it's the summary of Christian ethics based on the teaching of Christ, which was regularly given to converts in the early church to show them the way of life they ought to follow. In Christ, we are free. But that doesn't mean there are no standards. That's not Christian freedom. Obedient to the standard. How can we live the Christian life without ever engaging one another in the Word of God? How is that even possible? Do we even know the standard that that we're to live toward? Do we engage God in His Word? Do we engage one another with the Word of God? How can we expect to know what's pleasing to God if we're not in His Word? John picks up on this reality. A changed life leads to a changed person. How could it not? My little children. This is right after, by the way, our assurance of pardon. This is the next verse. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we know, we come come to know that we know Jesus Christ That we fit in this category, listen to what he says, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, that is Christ. This is the law and sanctification. It doesn't exist out here as a standard anymore with the hammer to beat you over the head, saying you're condemned, you're dead, you're condemned, you're dead. Now it's a renewed heart. Through Christ, this is what the gospel does. He renews us. He changes us. He shapes us. New desires. New motivations in life. A new standard for everything we do. The key for all of this is its union with Christ. We talked about this last week. In Christ, we are under new management. We're under new management. The old has gone. The new has come. Christ transforming us. We were destined on this trajectory for death. Now on this trajectory for life. Notice that Paul is showing that salvation in Christ happens across all of our life. Yes, I'm not denying that there's a point in which you're converted. 
of course, but what he's saying here is that's, that's only this tiny little slice of the life of a Christian that's vast. In Christ, we were being saved from the foundation of the world. In Christ, we are united to him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Again, Galatians 2. We are now in Christ as converts, those having placed faith in the finished work of Christ for salvation in him alone. We are in Christ as the fruit of a changed life is born in us. Sanctification happens in us. We are in Christ as we live set apart lives. We are in Christ to eternal life, eternal glory that awaits for us with Christ forever. Salvation is huge. It's vast. I think part of what he's combating here is this notion that, hey, I received Christ, I'm good. Keep on sailing, doing the things that I was doing. He's saying, no. Salvation that we have in Christ is vast. It's big. It it absorbs in all areas of life. You were being saved. You are being saved, and you will be saved. All of this is through a transformed status of those who are under grace, the grace of God in Christ, and not under law. Paul's final assessment of these two paths is summarized again beautifully in verse 23. The wages of sin is death. He sets up these vast contrasts here. Wages are what? It's what you earn. You work for wages. The wages that you earn for sin is what? Death. Here's all these incredible contrasts that he drops in next, but the free gift of God. Is that a wage? Can any of us here earn this new management, this new status? Can we earn it? No. This is a free gift of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Those that were bound for death are now bound for life. And this is a free gift. And this doesn't happen through us. It doesn't happen through our own effort. It doesn't happen through anything that we could lift a finger to accomplish. It's a free gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our champion has done it. The the love of God expressed in Christ for us. He has done it. Again, the, the final assessment is this contrast between getting what you deserve and getting grace. But those are trajectories of lives. Under new management, why would you ever try to be like you once were? That would be like Guadalajara trying to be like Shoney's. Why? Gross. It's not good. It's new. Why would we ever go back to that old fruit of shame and guilt and death? We're under new management. The law is now not pounding us down, but it, it beats in us a desire to please God and live to righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. 
for these things are great, they're high. Again, we need your help. We would long to be shaped and transformed by this. Would you remind us again of who we are, the, the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus, that the old has gone and behold, the new has come. May our lives live each moment for your glory. Make us quick to recognize the old man in us, quick to repent, quick to believe. Lord, again, these things are fruit of your work. Would you do them in us? Shape our church by these things, our community by these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.